side note i really just like paid attention to this movie mm-hmm. it's so fucking well crafted like it's so amazing how well how good it is and i appreciate it a lot because it manages to do almost everything right like it doesn't there's not like uh this one thing bothers me you know or it's mostly good except this one thing mm-hmm. i don't really have complaints about it that's all i gotta say real quick you know, it's just firing on all cylinders. Yeah, no, yeah. it really is. I I have these on DVD, and for whatever reason, I just don't watch them all that much. It's like for some reason, I got to be in a certain mindset for them. But I don't know. I, I just I put it on, and it clicked. And um, I'm I'm glad we picked this one to kind of side. It's sort of Christmas, but we kind of sidestepped that a little bit because it's it just <laughs> happens to take place around Christmas. You know, there's a I, lot of Christmas themes to it, though. Well, I mean, it, you know? it, it begins and ends with Christmas music, imagery, yeah, yeah, music and imagery and everything. So it's, um, but I, Shane Black does that a lot in his movies, where they'll they'll just kind of take place around a holiday, but it's not like the Predator was a Halloween movie, even though Halloween was part <laughs> of the story. And it just like this really isn't a Christmas movie; it just takes place around Christmas. And I think that's kind of um, an overlooked aspect of this in some sense, because, you know, Die Hard, a lot of people are like, oh, that's a Christmas movie. And I think if Die Hard's a Christmas movie, then Lethal Weapon's absolutely a Christmas movie. Oh, 100%. And and it's one that kind of doesn't get brought up in the conversation quite as much. It's, you, everybody goes straight to Die Hard. Right. Which, Die Hard's fucking great, but I'm glad that we didn't just pull that one out of the hat and be like, Hey, we're doing a Christmas movie. Right. I I agree. I don't know. I just think it's, it's the, the Christmas movie and die hard thing. It just was like a meme that stuck, you know? Uh, Cause yeah, it's fun to say that it is, but I don't think of die hard as a Christmas movie. I put it on the same level as, you know, lethal weapon so mm-hmm. like you said if you're gonna say one's a christmas movie god damn it you could say this one's a christmas movie as well yeah. it's the same you know it's the same in, crazy in that aspect absolutely yeah. yeah yeah not the same entirely but i found out that bruce willis was given the opportunity to play Riggs, uh and he turned it down uh man so in an alternate reality around there you have like four lethal weapon movies as with bruce willis as uh you know mel gibson's character so I'm i don't think glad that that didn't happen i agree uh yeah i don't know there's a certain type of magic with danny glover and mel gibson that's just throughout all of them you know mm-hmm. i think i like the second one the best the fourth one's still okay but it's also kind of like pizza even when it's bad pizza it's, it's still kind of good yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's just, yeah. yeah. Huh. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny, too, because that reminds me that Beverly Hills Cop with Eddie Murphy was, oh, hello, by the way, we're deep into another episode of Post Credits Podcast <laughs> at this point. Welcome back, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> In case you haven't guessed, we're talking about Lethal Weapon. 
Yeah. But that Man, casting it's... thing reminds me of uh, Beverly Hills Cop because that role was written for Stallone originally. And Interesting. I didn't know that. When you think of just how fucking different that movie would have been with Stallone, like, I, I feel like Lethal Weapon would have been different, but it wouldn't have been so different because Willis plays crazy but not like this. And I, I think that that was something that really jumped out at me was like a lot of times you see actors playing these crazy roles. They're out of control. And you're just like, you know, okay, you know, fucking tone, fucking tone it down a little bit. You know, this, this is ridiculous. I never felt that way here. And I, I think that's a real testament to how good at that kind of thing Mel Gibson is. You know, so it's not yeah. only his charisma, but it, he, like he does have some real acting chops and the chemistry is top notch. So it, it would have been different for sure, but I don't think it would have been as different as Stallone to Eddie Murphy in Beverly Hills Cop. Yeah, I mean, in either one of them, Beverly Hills Cop or this or the Lethal Weapon franchise, I can't see anyone else playing any one of the characters. Like, I just, I, it, it's hard to just like insert someone else into this because I feel like only these people could play these characters if you insert anyone else it just would change the storytelling so mm -hmm. much that it would not be iconic like these movies are you know now i have to ask you since we're talking about adding different actors into the mix did you watch those it's always sunny clips that i sent your way i did not no. oh that's too bad because part of what makes that so fucking absurd is that no one else can play those characters and the whole joke was that they were so disappointed that there was no Lethal Weapon 5 because they love those movies that they made their own Lethal Weapon 5. But right. it, it's like, yeah, you know, all those crummy James Bond movies I made in college where it's just like people <laughs> running around in the backyard. So you don't have any of the production design and then the people can't play the roles. So like that's where the comedy comes from. But but because they're playing it deadpan, it's just fucking hysterical. Well, now I feel like a piece of shit that I didn't watch it. They're still there. You can go out. And, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll watch you just, it. You didn't do your homework well, for once. I'm disappointed I, I in you. <laughs> I didn't do my homework, but under the circumstances, I I just haven't had a ton of time, you yeah. know. But um, one thing I want to talk about is uh, I, 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 I'm kind of jumping to the end, but it doesn't have anything to the story, right? Uh, it's the theme song for this. I'm always a sucker for a theme song that's a tie-in to the movie. Like, you know, it's always, or like, you know, you've got like Celine Dion with the Titanic movie, uh, mm -hmm. Leanne Rhymes slash, uh, what's the other one? Uh, Trisha Yearwood for Conair, uh -huh. you know, Kenny Loggins in the 80s, and whatever. Lemmy and Ozzy Osbourne <laughs> with Hellraiser. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. I'm always kind of a sucker for them because it's like, uh, this is so silly, but, you know, I'll let it, I'll let it slide. But man, this song is just so fucking weird. Uh, it's just the Lethal Weapon song, I think. And it's uh, as made famous by Honeymoon Suite, which I didn't even know was a band. I thought it was like, I thought the video was mislabeled. <laughs> you know, like, mm -hmm. why is it called Honeymoon Suite? But man, some of the lyrics, man, the lyrics, it's just so odd. The song goes, and even love can become a lethal weapon killing you that's the last thing love was ever meant to do and i'm just mm -hmm. like serial killers think that way 
know, like, I love you so much. I'm going to kill you. That's what I got out of that line. And it's just such a corny song, you know? Yeah. And, and I want to talk about that. I just want to apologize in case there's any audio issues to people listening. There is a once in a century windstorm happening right now. Outside. It is brutal. It's happening all across uh, Michigan right now. Brian and I are about a hundred miles apart from each other about, and it's the same over here. Like tornado know? conditions, like trees are leaning <laughs> yeah. sideways and yeah. Yeah. It's... So there might be rattling from windows on my end too. You know? Okay. All right. <laughs> There's not I... much we can do about just, it. Just, just putting that out there. Yeah, I, I apologize in advance. I'll try and minimize that in the editing. So back to the songs, I feel like that's part of what a lot of artists have trouble with when they become commissioned to do James Bond music, because there's the tendency to use the title in the song. And sometimes that's just really fucking hard, you know? It's very hard. Like Sam Smith didn't do it with Spectre. Because Good on him. Like, how, how do you put Spectre in a song? Yeah. You know, Radiohead actually did a cover of that. Which I was really disappointed because for the longest time I thought that not a cover they they did a version on spec. For the longest time I thought, oh man, Radiohead would would kill a, a Bond theme, you know, in a good way. And mm-hmm. then they did one for Spectre, and it's like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> but then again, I'm not really a fan of the Sam Smith song either. So <laughs> what are you gonna do? But it's just sort of a microcosm of the larger problem of like we don't care what it is. It has to be called Lethal Weapon make it sexy we don't care just come back with something and that, that's probably what happened with that yeah no no kind of thought into uh they're just like we gotta rhyme it somehow we gotta rhyme things mm-hmm. so we're gonna make it sound like we love you so much we'll kill you for it sure yeah they also said lethal weapon they said the title of the movie in the movie which right. is also yeah. I think that this is the only movie where it's not cringy, you know? Well, Glover so. says it when he's like, well, I have to register as you as a lethal weapon, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Was there another time or that was that the only one? That was it. That was the okay. only one. But in other movies, it said the title would be said. And it's just like, it's always kind of tongue in cheek, but mm-hmm. like kind of like a wink to the camera. But this one, I don't think it's noticeable because it kind of makes sense because of all his like special ops training before he was a police officer, you know, yeah. where, and I, I do feel like he actually looks like he could kill someone and is crazy enough, you know, to do it, mm-hmm. especially in that scene. Like they just had their first dinner together at uh, Murtaugh's house. Right. And they're leaving. And he goes, you know, I could, what did he say? Like, I could do it, you know, cause they were talking about like, he's basically saying like, yeah, I could kill these people, you mm-hmm. know? And it's just, it's believable, you know, for once where it's like, yeah, I bet, I bet you could, you know? Well, like, uh, that no. kind of goes back to a testament to his craziness is that it, it reads real and not as it's like, I'm out of control. You can't stop. You know? It's yeah. Like, All right, buddy. You know, relax. <laughs> I, we, we get your parents aren't home right now and you're just having a little too much fun. So the, the plot of this movie is. Is <laughs> dead air. It's it's just hard to describe because it like it all flows into each other very effortlessly, but it's pretty nuanced and layered because you start off with this, you know, beautiful woman jumping off a building and then you find out 
that she's the daughter of one of Murtaugh's Vietnam buddies. I think he was in Vietnam. Yeah. Yep. And that that her father had contacted him about getting her out of this life of prostitution that she's in and she turns up dead. It turns out that, and that all happens before the movie starts, but then the autopsy turns up that she was poisoned and they wind up uncovering this ring uh, shadow company of like former military people involved in shady shit in and around Los Angeles. So there's this whole conspiracy, but then you, he's saddled with, Mel Gibson is a partner who's the lethal weapon, the title or lethal weapon, because he he's inconsolable after the death of his wife. And the police chief, Tom Atkins, I believe, thinks that he's faking it so that he can be forcibly retired and get his pension. So even though his psychologist right. is like, no, this is real. They're like, fuck you. We're just going to stick you with him. And then they go on this case together. So it, there's just layers upon layers of things in this. So to, right. To, like, what's the TV guide summary of this? You don't have one, you know? <laughs> no. Like, and that's, it's even more interesting because, like, you you see, like, Mel Gibson doing all these heroic things. But it's like, when he explains it, like, he's fucked either way, right? Because he's saying, like, Either he's crazy and no one wants to work with him because of all like the depression and anxiety mm-hmm. that he's going through mm-hmm. and he's fucked that way. Or people think he's faking it, like you said, and he wants to just get early retirement and either way he's fucked. And it's like Danny Glover's character is borderline retiring. So he's on his way out. So it's like, I guess we'll just, yeah, you know, partner this crazy one with this guy who's leaving soon anyways. And yeah, there we go. Well, and I, I think that, from a realistic standpoint that puts a lot of pressure on Murtaugh's character because interviews that I've heard with police detectives and, and people in homicide is that retirement's not necessarily something that, that they always look forward to because it's sort of like I, now I have X amount of time to solve these cases. And if I don't do it, it's always going to bother me. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so he's got all of that. And I, I think that's where having this last case with the personal connection would really bother him on a personal level. And now we're just going to saddle you with this problem <laughs> character on top of it, you know. But it, of course, it turns out to be exactly the thing that each one needs to get through it. And, you know, it's a whole like nobody believes in them and they wind up. Yeah, it's just. Again, you know, it kind of defies a simple explanation or may, maybe I'm putting more into it, but it, it really is a lot more layered than so many action movies, maybe even were at the time or since. And uh, I think that's a big part of why it feels so contemporary, even though it, it's firmly in the 80s. But at the same time, it's like, man, you know, like this, if it wasn't for the hairstyles and some of the clothes like this... I could see this being a, a popular movie today. I agree. And also I think what like adds to its, uh, I guess, what's the word? Uh, Dead air. Yeah. There. How no, does that like, feel? It's charm. Right, it like, adds to its charm. It's, it's charm. Right. And also like what I find really interesting is like all the characters are fleshed out, right? Not mm-hmm. just him, not just the two that we want to watch, 
But what I found so fascinating is like the family situation, the family dynamic of Murtaugh's character, right? They all seem like they're real people. And it's like, you get all these like little scenes, right? Where it's like, they they mean something or they have had like a past relationship, right? Mm-hmm. Now, oftentimes like you're missing this, like this kind of like this feeling that they are all close and they have like strong bonds together, you know? And one of those instances, it's so small where I'm just like, yeah, only people who know each other really well would say that and Mm -hmm. know that they wouldn't offend that person, right? Mm -hmm. And that's when Danny Glover says to his wife something about there's a beef substance cooking, (laughs) you know, in in the oven. And she says, oh, now you're just being an asshole, you know? Mm-hmm. You wouldn't say that to someone you don't know very well. Because if you don't know, you can call people you know an asshole only when, and not get a rise out of them, only when you know them really well. You know, so it's like stuff like that that they throw in there or that's written or just maybe it's improv. I don't know. But it's stuff like that that just adds to the reality of it, you know? Yeah. And it's all these little things that I think movies now miss where it's like you have like the rapping at the table you know embarrassing the oldest sister and rigs about like because she can't stop staring at him you know mm-hmm. and they're having like a little rap about it that she's falling in love with him you know that shit's funny yeah. you know because it's cringe but and that would happen but yeah, I, yeah I, I just I mean, love those little you know, moments you know sit, sitting in a tree can i ask i yeah i mean you know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, that's playground stuff but it's you know, and Shane Black's very good at that in his writing. I don't know if you ever saw The Nice Guys, but that has a very lethal weapon kind of feeling to it. <laughs> the Nice Guys needs to be talked about more. It needs to be in like pop culture vernacular way more. I love that movie so much that I made artwork for it. You oh, know, yeah. I think I sold like five posters because no one has ever seen that movie. That's the thing. It just flew under the radar <laughs> and people just don't know that it's out there. But that movie's fucking great. Um, I'm not a big Russell Crowe fan, but like, you know, that was good. And, you know, I'm not a huge Ryan Gosling fan seeing him getting the shit kicked out of him. It's like, oh, that's, this is funny, you know. <laughs> right. But they just have that chemistry and the, and the writing's great. And the, the daughter is hilarious in that as well. Yeah. Man, when they roll up to that house and that woman get or that girl gets thrown through the window, they're like, what was that? I'm like, that was me throwing that girl out the window. <laughs> yeah. You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> fucking great yeah i love nice guys uh it's it's just amazing and i think like he's drunk through the whole thing right ryan gosling's character because i think every scene he always has like liquor in his hand Uh but i don't think there's a lot of scenes of him drinking it it's just implied that he's just drunk all the time you know yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe that was to get around like one of those codes or something like that where they, they you can only show drinking X amount of times or it becomes <laughs> X rated for whatever reason. Um, right. I, I always that's I, something I always thought was a little strange about Tom Atkins and Halloween three, because it's like at any time they show him he, in the first half of the movie, at least he's got a beer in his hand. <laughs> yeah. Right. He's on a stakeout in the six pack of beer. Like that's the you don't want to drink beer on a stakeout. Like you're going to have to pee. You're going to miss things, man. Come on. You know? <laughs> right. Right. Um, but uh, Tom Atkins was in Night of the Creeps. And yes. being that that was a Black and Decker production, Shane Black, Fred Decker, um, he 
came to the set and it was like, you know what? I got something for you. And that's how he wound up being cast in Lethal Weapon as the police chief. Uh, I remember hearing that. And then, um, funny enough, I uh, when he started talking in Lethal Weapon, because I, I know he's been in this, but all I could think about was him in Night of the Creeps. And so he's going through this awful thing of like, how his daughter is in this awful lifestyle and he wants to get her out and put an end to it. I just kept laughing because I'm thinking of him going absolutely berserk and killing everything in the room with that like camera angle of the room spinning and he's just firing and it gets closer and closer and closer. With yeah, each yeah. Shot. I love that. You shot. Know? Yeah. And so it, it's very having this, filmy, but it just works. It beautifully. works. Uh, but I just kept like grinning while he's, talking about like how awful his daughter's life is i'm like stop smiling at this man he's he's going through some shit right now he's in a bad place stop thinking about this other shit so oh god but yeah i love tom atkins uh i just think it's well primarily just because of night of the creeps you know that was that was the movie that made me a tom atkins fan you know, I'd, I'd seen him in other things like The Fog and Escape from New York, you know, you know the Carpenter stuff. But uh, yeah, no, Night of the Creeps is great. The The only thing that bugs me about that is all the name dropping. You know, it's like, yeah, you're yeah, Toby Carpenter Hooper. And it's like, God damn it. You know, <laughs> it, at the time, that was probably really clever. But so many people have done it that it it's just, you know, you talk about cringe. That's so cringy is like all that like overt fan servicey thing and yeah I just, I fuck, fucking hate all of it now but uh you know it, that's it, his, it, we're jaded as time goes on and miserable people but uh it never used to bother me at all i was just like eh, it is what it is but since you have so much disdain for it it's starting to rub off and I'm starting not to like it at all. So well, we've established thank several you. times that I ruin things. <laughs> it's just you know, once you you know it's there, you can't unhear it, and that's what always pulls me right. out of the movie. And that's why I resent it. It makes sense. Like in, it is one of those things that in any movie that does it, it is distracting. So I can understand that because you want to be paying attention to like what's happening in the movie. And then you're like, Oh, remember this thing over here. Remember that thing over there. Mm-hmm. And your concentration on what's happening is kind of ruined. You know, I understand that. So, so we did it again. It explained shadow company for people who don't, for, for well, people shadow, who haven't seen lethal weapon shadow company seems like it's one of these, group small groups within a military that goes in to do like very specific types of missions right and it would almost be the equivalent of like what we saw in the predator that's how i'm thinking of like what shadow company is it's not necessarily like a big army but it's a group of people Mm -hmm. that have been put together to do very specific military things military missions that maybe not a lot of people know about yeah, but black um, ops what work that kind of thing yeah yeah but uh in this movie that group started kind of this uh, what a coup attempt using the Viet Cong 
and heroin to kind of like disrupt the economy in Vietnam. And so, but since the war is over, they still had all their connections to the drug trade. And so they decided to, you know, reignite that group, get them all back together because they still had their connections to the heroin makers in Vietnam to start bringing that heroin into the United States. So now they have this group of people that's providing a large amount of drugs to California, among other things, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, So Shadow Company is like kind of like this group that's, you know, working under, you know, under the radar of a lot of things and Murtaugh and uh, Riggs just kind of stumble upon it because of, I always want to call him Honeysucker, but that's not his name. It's, uh, I don't even know. Han Sucker, Han Sucker. Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm blanking on that for <laughs> okay. character's name there. But yeah, I mean, basically the war is over and this is kind of retirement planning. That, that's sort of how I took it. Yep. You know, because sol- soldiers gone soldier. <laughs> right. Uh, my my own, the only confusion that I had is it seems like Mel Gibson and Joshua, uh, <laughs> played by Scary Gary, excuse yeah. me. <laughs> and, um, they both had the same tattoo. So did they cross paths before? And the reason why I think that is like, I feel like by the end when they're fighting in the lawn, like he Riggs says something like you want a shot at the title. And I'm like, Oh wait, did they know each other before now because mm-hmm. they had the same tattoo or no, you know, there's special forces or special ops tattoos. Yeah. That are all similar. You know, maybe, maybe they were in the same unit or the same, like you right. said, special forces, but a class apart or something like that. Right. Okay. Uh, but yeah, I find like the escalation and how it unfold, unfolds to be done really well. Right. Because it's just, just like the, you find out like that, um, Tom Adkins' daughter, who, you know, committed suicide, would have died anyways, and that they were just trying to put pressure on him to not contact the police about what was happening because he wanted out, mm-hmm. you know, and then they they get sucked into this thing. I think it's pretty smart to do it that way, you know, where it's like you're they're just kind of like along for this crazy ride and getting deeper and deeper, you know, mm-hmm. without knowing it, you know until until dixie's house blows up then they know that they're in some serious shit yeah (laughs) that's that is where it goes sideways yeah and you know Busey being kind of the muscle here was uh a good choice because there's a couple times where they show him as the crazy one you know like when Mm -hmm. he's got his arm over the the lighter yeah man now, a lot of times when they do that stunt in a movie, I can always see the the burn gel on the arm, and you and you can't see it here. <laughs> so there, there's there's like a glisten on there when, usually when they do that, and you don't see it here at all. So I don't know if they just hit it well, or maybe it was like a you know good camera angles or whatever. But that that was well done. But uh, so the guy in charge, was that Dr. Wynn from Halloween 6? Is that where I recognize him from? Yes, it is. I was uh, I was wondering that the same thing because he's kind of got this Charles and Heston vibe going on, but not, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was trying to piece or like place him. I'm like, I know I've seen him in other something else that I'm familiar with. 
you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, yeah, Halloween 6, part of the cult at the end of that movie, you know, the whole thorn thing. Yeah, the thorn thing. <laughs> so there, uh, there you go. You heard it here first. The, the cult of thorn is Shadow Company's fault. God, they have their hands in everything. It's really awful. It goes Heroin. all the way to the top. <laughs> Heroin drug trade and then bringing Michael Myers' yeah, evil try, essence to into to a newborn. Bang his niece. <laughs> Real, real fucking evil people, in case you can't guess. The worst. <laughs> what do you think of all the torture scenes in this movie? Or, I guess not torture scenes, but there's a couple of things that just make me really, like, want to look away, you know? One of them was the fire under Gary Busey's arm. I don't know if anyone else has been burned. I have. Not a very fun experience. I'm not talking about, like, get your finger on like a baking pan or something and that kind of burn. Like I've mm-hmm. had some stupidity when I've been around um, soldering irons. Uh, but um, Soldering irons? What are you doing with soldering dude, irons? This was, this was so long ago. <laughs> was that for your jewelry making stuff? No, no. I had a... <laughs> I'll tell the story. I had a, a 3D design class in my foundation classes in college, which was like the dumbass, we're going to get your feet wet in artwork. But it's like, yeah, I've already kind of been doing the artwork. That's why I'm here. So I had to take a 3D design class. So it was like making sculptures out of wire frames was one or wire pieces, you know? So I had to like build this monstrosity thing out of just like a wire frame first. And I was soldering points together but I had to solder this one piece that was at like a really hard angle. Uh, and I had this, my sculpture set up on a table. And so like where I had to solder was like on the opposite side of where I was working. So I was trying to do it from where I was sitting when I should have just like, kind of like walked around the table mm, and mm-hmm. done it from the other side. But I was, yeah. you know, lazy and didn't want to get up off my ass. That's how accidents happen. Right. So I had like my arms kind of like snaked through this sculpture soldering one point together. And I set the soldering iron down and then I went to grab it with my left hand, right? So can you see like where, what's happening now? Uh-huh. I set it down with my right hand and then I went to grab it with my left and I grabbed the wrong end of the soldering iron. Wow. And it there was definitely some smoke involved, you know, uh, Definitely singed some skin and had uh, had some lack of feeling in a couple of my fingertips for about a month. That's you know, a, that's a smell you don't forget. No, and, you, you know, don't. Just for people's reference, soldering irons are like four hundred and some degrees. Yeah, so. burning. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, depending on the level of intensity, you're talking about between four and 700 degrees. Yeah. Uh, Well, and I will give credit to my university. They had, um, we had specific labs that we could do specific things in. So if we were doing a sculpture using soldering stuff, we had safety equipment and medical aid there should an accident happen, such as grabbing the wrong end of a soldering iron. Mm -hmm. So we have like burn gel that you could put on. So luckily I like nothing scarred up 
but yeah, there was definitely some like nerve damage for a little bit in my left hand, you know? So uh, thank God they had all that stuff there. Uh, The pain went down to next to nothing after I got the burn gel on. It's a wonderful thing that stuff is, you know? Uh, But yeah, definitely like an oh shit moment when, because I I saw I saw the smoke from my hand before I felt the pain. So, mm-hmm. and I'm guessing maybe that's one of the reasons that that could happen was because it was so hot, you know? I think there's a real horror in that as well because, you know, yeah, I, I'm thinking of going to the, de- I mean, I've burned myself with a soldering iron, but I never grabbed the wrong end with my whole hand. It's usually just, flying too close to one of your fingertips and ah mother yeah yeah you know but uh yes smelling that is awful and um you know similarly when you're at the dentist and like they're doing any kind of drilling and it's like you can just feel you can feel it but it doesn't hurt but you can smell it and it's like that's that's a piece of me that's dying right now and there's something really scary about that but there really is but back to the other scenes. So there was that. There was the the elect the electroshock thing with Mel Gibson. Man, fuck that guy. I can't like you ever you ever watch something in a movie and then hate the person that played that character. Like I hate that guy who was shocking Mel Gibson. Not like I think if I saw him, my immediate re- in the like if I was just walking through the city and I saw him, I'd be like, fuck you. <laughs> You know, uh, because I think that's so brutal, mm-hmm. you know, even though it's just a movie and he was paid to perform something, you know, perform an act yeah. that's not real. The visceral reaction and gut reaction that I have to someone like that is you're a piece of shit. <laughs> so, yeah, it's great that movies can do that to you, though, you know, make well, you feel that type of reaction, that strong reaction towards something. Yeah, I, I think that's what they call a character you love to hate kind of thing. Right, right. But then when Murtaugh was being tortured, they, I mean, that was kind of just like they're punching him. <laughs> yeah, they did put salt in his gunshot wound, though, which yeah. is also brutal, but not not to the same level as the electroshock therapy with sponges and a battery in water, you know? Yeah, I mean, oh. that's some Guantanamo Bay shit, but then putting salt in the wound, like that lingers past the shock, you know, I mean, like they shock you until they stop, but then that salt's just kind of there until your body dissolves it. So it's arguably worse, although it's not as intense. Like it's not the intense violence of shock you now versus the sting. And then it just sits there burning. Yeah. God, what would be worse? I, I like of the two. Like the duration's awful because if you have pain that's going on for a long time, it's almost worse than like a short amount of time, but a massive amount of pain, mm-hmm. you know, where it's like you could bring that down. Say like the shock is like a 10 while well, it's only lasting a couple seconds, but maybe the salts last is like at a seven, but then it's lasting for like hours. Yeah, you that, know? that's what I'm saying. Yeah. And it's just the, the fact that it's there until it's dissolved and <laughs> it goes away so gross yeah. there's a cup of salt in your arm enjoy that mm. while you can <laughs> Fuck that. 
So Mel Gibson breaks out and, you know, he, he goes into shock him a, a final time and he, he kind of does the MMA thing of choking him out with the leg, which that's really fucking hard. Like, <laughs> you know, most of your blood chokes, you get people in like a rear naked choke kind of thing. I took a, a good amount of karate. I've done that. That's... I've done it. I've done it to somebody. <laughs> I don't, Wait, I don't I don't even know if I should should we talk about my assault? No, I don't I don't think we should. <laughs> yeah, let's just say we both have experience in choking yeah. people. Although yeah. the context of mine is in actual karate and studying mixed martial arts and things like that. To be fairness, to be you fairness. could argue or to to be fair, you could argue my situation could have you could say it was in self-defense. So you could you could say that. There's a argument there for that. I'm just the, the more time we dwell on this, the worse it looks yeah, for Yeah, we should move on. We should move on. <laughs> I'm just saying. So he jumps up, wraps his leg around, chokes the guy out with his leg, which, man, I'm just saying, it's really hard to do because of positioning. Um, I'm not calling bullshit on it. It's just, like, I watched that, and it's like, yeah, man, so many things have to go right for him to get out in this instance. But, right. But I'm glad he right. did. <laughs> Well, I think like part of it was that he had his ankles tied, right? And he used that. He like wrapped that his ankles and that rope around his neck as well. Like, so that added leverage to the neck. So it seems like it's a little bit more plausible. Not a hundred percent. You also have to get the person right at the right angle to get basically the elbow of your leg into their neck yeah. in order to collapse that. So I'm just saying it's a hard thing to do. Um, still impressive, not quite as impressive as what uh, Harley Quinn did in Suicide Squad when she did her escape from kind of a similar situation. But like she even kind of like comes down and grabs the keys with her toes and then works. Those oh, up yeah. And unchains yourself. So, man, just the uh, just knowing that that was real is, is so impressive for that actress. She I'm, did that. Oh yeah, yeah. There, there That's is no wild. stunt double. That, that was all, uh, Mar Margot Robbie. Well, that makes me appreciate that character a little bit more. I still kind of don't like her though. The actress is great. I just don't like Harley Quinn. That's well, all. that portrayal of Harley Quinn. Yes, yeah, that is correct. Sir. Yeah, you don't have to like her in order to be impressed by that. So, just right. like Mel Gibson's an asshole, you don't have to. <laughs> you don't have to like him. He's not going to be your friend. In order to appreciate, you know, what he's doing in this movie here. That's a good point. Good point. Man, oh, and the sounds, though, of that shocking. Like the, it's like that vibrating sound. Oh, man. It I, makes I me kind of queasy. I really didn't get, didn't get that from it. I was just kind of like, oh, it's a movie thing. So oh. uh, maybe I should rewatch the end of that just to kind of get, because I am a little fuzzy on the, um, uh, you know, it's kind of late at night and whatnot, but uh, that scene in the whole fight with Joshua on the lawn at the house there. It's fucking awesome. It is I love awesome, that. yeah. I love that the whole police department kind of doesn't know what's going on, but they're all just letting it happen, you know? Because uh, Roger think, runs up and is like, they I'm... didn't know that it was going on or that they knew what was going on and because of the whole we're not getting involved in this thing. They just kind of stood back. 
see for me i i i guess you could go either way but i always think that they don't know and because he's trying to stop them from interfering when the first round of police shows up he's like hey i'm in control this is my responsibility just you know back down so i don't think any one of them knew right at the beginning but then they're cheering him on to like you know you have roger on the sidelines like break his neck break his neck you know uh I don't think they knew. No, I'm going to go with, I don't think they knew. Okay. Yeah, no, that's, that's a good way to read that. Um, that does almost seem like a cliche after this movie of having the showdown at the villains estate. Well, they like, no, but they had it at rock and it does that. Yeah. Go ahead. What were you going to say? Well, I mean, I was just going to say that it happened in like Roger's yard. Oh, but the, you know, their escape from being tortured. Yeah. For all the information. Um, yeah, and then they chase him down, and then we're, we're not going to kill you, but then we have to because he's just not going to go. So I have a theory. I want to know what you think about it. So I've been kind of watching a lot of action movies, and then I also rewatched um, A Quiet Place Part 2, which I love. I think 1 and 2 is like one hell of an excellent four-hour movie. Um, but one thing occurred to me, and it's like the powerful effect of uh sound design in a movie and both quiet place and lethal weapon made me think of this because i don't think that the cars in either movie are going above 30 miles an hour ever Mm -hmm. and i think the only reason why we perceive that they're going fast and that it's a dangerous chase is the sound effects I think if you put this shit on mute, you'd be like, wow, these cars are going like five miles an hour and they're just filming everything sliding around at five miles an hour. I don't think they're going that fast. What are your thoughts on it? I guess I didn't notice the, the them playing with speed in that way. You're saying they were sliding around. How do you how do you slide at 30 miles? Well, an no, hour? like do they like. Well, no, butter, I mean, five miles an hour is an over exaggeration, but it's meant to feel like these these cars are going super fast right mm-hmm. you know like day de- at, at dangerous speeds we'll just say that whatever a dangerous speed is for whatever road they're on but then if you look at it like you have a couple times where it's like mel gibson is keeping pace with the cars while he's running with no shoes on you know <laughs> and it's like how is he he's not superhuman he's just a dude yeah. with anger problems uh-huh. you know but like he's keeping pace with automobiles yeah no that's kind of dumb i think they just fucked up <laughs> but it no but i urge everyone who has a quiet place to right in the beginning when they're kind of recapping what's what happened and like the the onslaught of these monsters pay close attention to like how fast things are not moving when you, the camera's inside the car they're like man they're going like 10 miles an hour but then there's screeches and <laughs> glass yeah. breaking and all this stuff everywhere you know i i think that's one thing that it, you know it might not be intentional so much as it's the hollywood sound design or or over design because you know you'll you'll get that thing where like someone will take a knife out of a cutlery block and it'll sound like a a, <laughs> a, a sword <laughs> yeah. being ripped out of a sheath yeah you know and i there's times when it's comical, but with a car chase, it might not feel that way because it, it doesn't look as bad in practice because it's not a small motion. Like, like it translates better, I guess is what I'm trying to say. 
versus okay. that one knife where it's just ching, coming out of there where a car going around a corner you know we've heard tire squeals we know that's a real thing so i think to your point it is exaggerating it but it's exaggerating it in a way that translates better where it doesn't rip you out of it in like a well that's fucking ridiculous kind of way <laughs> unless they're purposefully driving really 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 slow and using that for comedic effect is what i'm saying oh oh okay okay yeah, it's just interesting i'm gonna have to pay attention more to that in movies to see if it's like are they going fast or is it sound design you know what's tricking me because mm. sometimes it's obvious that they're mm -hmm. just they're going like a bat out of hell you know like anytime john wick's driving his car you know like they have some speed going on with that shit for sure but then you think of other stuff i'm like i i don't think that they're actually moving at all <laughs> you know i think that they're almost still you know it's it's worse when you see the car outside because then it's hard to convey fast motion. So if, if it's like a wider shot of the car driving down the street, it almost never looks fast. But when, when it's inside the car and it's a little bit more intimate and you can see like the motion blur going past, you know, then, then you can hide it a little better. And, you know, maybe that's a testament of the craftsmanship of someone like Richard Donner and more of a con condemnation of the lack of craftsmanship of the people who made Samurai Cop. <laughs> yeah. Lack of craftsmanship. God, I almost want to say that's an overstatement, you know? Well, saying uh, that there is craftsmanship implies at, that, at all there that there was some. <laughs> that's right. That's where I'm going. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> um, I just want to bring that up. Another one that I, another thing I thought of that is actually like a teenager thought uh, was after watching this, I thought, man, Wolf or uh, Mel Gibson would be a great Wolverine from this movie, as I saw it as like a impressionable teenager who was really into comics and then mm -hmm. came across this movie. Like how he absolutely goes berserk. I feel like that's how Wolverine could have been portrayed if, uh, marvel ever pulled the trigger on doing a wolverine in the late 80s you know wizard magazine used to do kind of like dream castings of yeah comic book movies so it was like patrick stewart as professor x they fucking nailed that one because he bonded yep. the planet i want to say that it was either clint eastwood or mel gibson that they had as wolverine when when they did oh. their x-men movie thing maybe this was just uh an idea that wizard gave me because i remember a lot of them like a lot of their like dream casting you know to play a superhero movie or to get a cast together for a superhero movie yeah i so I, I remember I reading quite a few of some them. of the spider-man ones but i i do remember they wanted howie long for venom which at the time he would have been like he had the look i don't know about the acting chops but like howie long broken arrow i could totally see him playing eddie brock that's the other move. I forgot about Broken Arrow. I was, I, but I remembered Firestorm. Remember that? I don't know. Firestorm had Howie Long in it, and he plays um plays a forest firefighter, right? Mm -hmm. Who goes up against like some mob group that starts a forest fire, and it's like this cat and mouse thing through a forest fire. And there's, I specifically remember like one shot where he like 
side throws an axe at somebody. It's oh, in the trailer. Yeah, that's in yeah, yeah. That's that was in <laughs> yeah. every commercial for that movie. I do remember yeah. Storm now. That's cool. Broken arrow. <laughs> oh my god. I kind of want to watch that now, but that's a big piece of shit, I think. <laughs> Well, if it makes you feel any better, I kind of want to watch Firestorm now. So, <laughs> well, we can both watch pieces of shit. Yeah, we'll again, uh, we'll come back. Like, I'm so mad. Why did you make me watch this? <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's maybe we come to find out that that's a movie we could cover later. We have not done a shitty movie in a while, so it's like been, a real, it's been a little bit, a yeah. real turd. It's so. been a little bit. It'll be at least until after the new year because we got another. We, yeah, Actual we got we got movie lined up. Yes, we do. And then like a fun episode towards the end of the month. Um well, this will be the last one people hear before Christmas. And then the other one will come out just after Christmas, but I feel like because nobody takes their Christmas decorations down until after New Year's that it's it's still in play. <laughs> yeah. That's one thing that just needs to stop is christmas ending whenever it decides that it's over you How about know christmas starting whenever it decides to you know the the war on christmas can't end until it, it no longer illegally annexes the month of november right because <laughs> yeah. it's like eleven fifty nine halloween night is when christmas fucking christmas trees yeah and i like christmas i'm not a bah humbugger i i actually have a nice little christmas tree i I just got my star for it today it it didn't it didn't blow off the porch because amazon delivered it right before we started recording so otherwise it'd be you know long gone oh man i'm not a scrooge either but holy fuck is it annoying to see that shit like we haven't even gotten to thanksgiving like the audacity that christmas has to Give Thanksgiving and Halloween a slap in the face is just awful. Mm-hmm. It's just the worst. Like the arrogance that that holiday has to step foot on another holiday's toes is ridiculous. And well, then you have all the other people cheering it on. Like Christmas is my favorite holiday. Listen, I love spending time with friends and family. But there is nothing like the holidays to bring out the worst in people. I hate going outside. I don't want to be around people. You know, we're just. uh... Hey, I I agree. I uh, worked in retail when I was in high school. And the day after Thanksgiving and Christmas Eve were two of the worst days of my life that I mean, I vividly remember from that year. And that's a big part of why I don't want to set foot in stores like the week before Thanksgiving till just after the new year. Um, it, it's like I have, you know, PTSD from that. I, I remember Black Friday, like our blowout deal was like, because I worked in electronics, you know, shocker, put put the nerds with all the technology gadgets. And of course, like, like our deal was some piece of crap blowout TV and it was behind the counter. People were like leaning over these glass counters, which are not meant to support the weight of human beings and, you know, trying to get these things so they can run out. So I'm, you know, pushing people off, trying to, you know, ring people up one hand, keep the line going. <laughs> I, I mean, people were grabbing at me. My name tag got ripped off. People are screaming at you, you know. I mean, it was like in the middle of being in a, a zombie movie where you're at the middle of the horde where they're ripping your flesh apart. I mean, that's, 
I, like I said, they ripped my name tag off. So like people were actually grabbing at you, screaming at you. You could feel and, the spittle and the heat on people's breath as they're shouting at you like you're some piece of trash to just get, you know, it's right. just stuff. It's just the stuff. toasters are sold out. How dare you, Brian? Yeah. I'm going to personally attack you because you're not a store owner or a distribution chain or yep. anything. You don't have anything to do with this, but I'm going to make your life suck because you have to work here and you can't leave. So you're the guy. Yep. Yeah. We're just oh my take God. All our it's frustration out on you. So I, I feel so bad crazy. for people in that situation, but although I, I think it's probably a little bit better um, nowadays because, you know, much like Christmas begins and ends when it wants to, it's not black Friday anymore. It's like the whole week. Well, yeah, because it's not Black Friday. It's also Cyber Monday mm-hmm. and Small Business Saturday and all these things now. It's like, hey, whatever business you are, we have a day for you where you get to deal with well, crazy. But, but even so, you know, just like with people <laughs> dropping their Super Bowl commercials before the game, they start the deals early so that they kind of get ahead of the news cycle. And, you know, yeah. everyone's trying yeah. to like out cycle everyone else so i i don't feel like black friday is nearly as crazy as it used to be 20 years well, ago I th- you think so because i feel like it's gotten worse but maybe it's just that's just a perception because everyone has a cell phone and can videotape like all the crazy people so it just seems yeah. like there's more crazy people than there mm-hmm. actually is because it's so in your face. Yeah, a, a buddy of mine works for Verizon. He said there was only like six people lined up outside their store this year. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, so it, it's more spread out is what I'm trying to say. Okay, it's not concentrated crazy. No. It's diluted crazy. Uh, so back, back to Lethal Weapon. Let's, yeah. Let's let's tie this thing up. In a I, I, I've, I've gotten my grievances out about the holiday. We're good now. Had to get it out. We're done. Yeah. Um, I really so like how they, this. They wind up having dinner at Murtaugh's house, Chris, uh, Christmas dinner. Yeah. Yeah. Are you talking about the ending or the. Yeah. For, okay. Yeah. Man, what a like, it's kind of a high note to end it on that way. Right. Cause mm-hmm. he, cause Riggs just stops by to be like, Hey, tell your, give this to your father. It's a, it's a Christmas gift and it's a bullet which like he no longer needs anymore, which I think is, I think now if you were to do something like that, it would be cliche and like forehead slapping type of like, Oh my God, that's so corny. Uh But it works really well in this movie because it shows the growth of Riggs finding new meaning, you know? Well, because the significance of the bullet is it's the hollow point he was going to, he was saving to shoot himself with. Yes. Yeah. So I don't need this anymore. Merry Christmas. You, you, You did this for me. Right, right. Uh, which I think is a, such a high note to end, you know, like all the stuff that has happened to both of them mm-hmm. in this movie. It's really it's really great. You know, it's wholesome in a way. It's a wholesome moment, of, you know, in a movie about killing bad guys. Well, and, you know, like you were saying, it might be considered cliche if you see it today. It might have been considered cliche back then. But I think the actors elevate the material to a level that if that was Bruce Willis, you know, it might have been kind of kind of groany or cringy, you know. Yeah. And deadpan, too. You know, Mm -hmm. he's so monotone and 
raspy in his voice. He, he never, his voice never gets high or low or anything. It's always well, it kind does, of the same. though, because he, he'll do that thing where he'll end something in an upward inflection. <laughs> but he never really That's... raises his voice. You know, he just kind right. of comes up in that way. So, you know, he's out to get you. You know, um, uh, Richard Donner said something going back to like what you said about um, like the casting and like how they're able to like pull these moments and these actors were able to go deep into these roles. Uh, he said that they like that there was a certain type of magic that happened with these two actors when they got them together to read the script together. Mm-hmm. I guess like I don't know if this is common. This doesn't seem very common outside of television shows, but maybe I'm just ignorant. But I don't know of too many times where they've actually, before they've gotten the roles, they've had the actors that they wanted to play the characters do a table read, you know? Yeah. And that's like, is that common? So it's something a lot of people overlook. Um, I did a table read with Soul Survivors okay. before, before we started production. It's, just, it's kind of an icebreaker. And also to kind of, it was such a conversational sort of ensemble thing, not only to break the ice, but to kind of get a feeling of like, what do I need to maybe fine tune before we actually launch into this thing? Cause so much of that movie was people sitting around talking. Whereas with this movie that I'm making right now, we didn't do a table read cause it's not really the kind of movie that would benefit from a table read. Okay. So I think in certain situations, yeah, um, it does happen a lot with TV shows, but it's normally with, an established cast. Um, yeah. Feature well, I guess films, that's... feature films will do it in a, in, in the sense that they get people together again, as an icebreaker kind of rehearsal sort of thing. Um, but it's also kind of a final, you know, let's, let's take this for a test drive before we commit to it sort of thing. So it's not something that you would do in every instance, but it, it is a tool in your back pocket that smart directors deploy. Okay. Well, I mean, it definitely worked with this movie. Um, And it was really interesting because it touches on a point you said earlier where um, they're the dynamic shown between both of those actors was so prevalent, even at this table read that uh, Richard Donner was surprised that they were able to find like different emotions or comedy in the dialogue that was written that he didn't even see was there. You know, so he was talking about like how like Mel Gibson was able to go into like pretty deep moments, like out of whim, you know, Uh, and this is displayed a couple times in the movie. And then, um, you know, finding that comedy in certain things as well, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, so the the variety where they were able to go quickly was, uh, he said, uh, magical and just total dynamite, you know. That's got to be an exhilarating feeling to be a director in this in this instance, right? And you're just like, I want to make this awesome action movie. That's all I want. And then you get these two people together and their charisma together just elevates something so rapidly where you're like, I think I might have gold. I think I might be creating gold right now. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's hard to maintain that through line because when you're making a movie, it's this piece, this piece, this piece, you know, whereas with, with a table read in order to maintain that, you know, that's more of a stage play. You're going through start to finish. So you you don't have that cut. Okay. We're going to move the shit around, change the lighting, do whatever we do. 
Um, you know, but also great actors can pull that off because I that's something I always hear about Tom Hanks where people who work with them are kind of like, oh, he just snaps out of it and he's telling jokes and, you know, I, I, I don't know if any of this is working because he doesn't stay in character. But then when you put it the takes together, it's like, oh, there's the sum of the Tom Hanks performance. And I, I feel like that's something that Mel Gibson must be able to do. Danny Glover must be able to do in order to take that initial experience where it's unbroken. You just read it through and then break it up in the way that filmmaking is broke up, you know, and, and that's the actual um, craft of uh, fantastic actors and, and a director and just everything functioning at their highest level. And what's crazy is they were able to do it three more times to like, yeah, None you of, know, none of them are bad. I know it, it's so rare that that can happen. You know, obviously I think I like, I think I do like the second one the best because it, it's more of um, Riggs being out of the, you know, despair that he felt. I mean, mm -hmm. he still feels bad, but it's not at the level of this movie. And he kind of turns into like the Wiley E coyote type of character towards like, the other the rest of the lethal weapon movies you know mm -hmm. like because there's moments where it's like he's in the straight jacket and he dislocates his shoulder to get out of it that's in the second one and then in the third one they got that motorcycle chase where he like flies off the highway and the next shot is looking down at him as he's just falling <laughs> onto debris you know mm -hmm. so it gets a little cartoony and i like that stuff a little bit more that's kind of why i put the rest of them higher than the first one but that's still um people will always think like if you say i like this better it means that the other one's rubbish this movie is fucking great like i yeah. don't have any problems with it it's just a personal taste that i like what happens in two and three better you know yeah i you know one of the uh, audio signatures is the saxophone and I I felt like that was something that I would see this and it just it would feel weird, but it didn't. You know, maybe it hadn't become a caricature of itself yet. No, uh, it's like, interesting it, though. It but might it, late in some of the later movies, but you know, here it all just works perfectly. But what's interesting, I think, is if I heard saxophone in a different movie similar, you would think you know, *Lethal Weapon*. Yeah, I would. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> It's iconic then the saxophone is iconic that's great <laughs> i never i never thought of a saxophone as being iconic but there you go it is fucking saxophone well, why is it quintessentially 80s though to have that saxophone as well or is it do you only think of it as lethal weapon i, I also think, think of it as lethal weapon but okay i think it's one of those things that people might refer back to when they do some pastiche of here's our idea of an 80s thing and then they throw a saxophone in there and it's just become so part of the pop culture vernacular where it's like oh that's an 80s thing it it really wasn't it was just right, right. the one movie but if you're going <laughs> yeah. to pick the one movie to take the audio signature from as our baseline then i i just think that's kind of what you're describing there Right. No, it is. It is. Uh, one thing that I want to bring up is uh, po police procedure in this movie. Mm -hmm. There's a, a couple times where I'm like, you definitely get fired for that. One of them, 
The obvious one is Riggs and Joshua running down the highway, shooting automatic rifles at each other with uh, weaving in and out of a traffic jam. I don't know. A cop might get fired for putting that many people in danger of hip firing an AR, you know, Uh, just throwing that out there. But the other one, and it's so uh, still not as bad as John McClane and Die Hard 2 walking into the airport police station, firing the gun. Yes. Full of blanks to prove it. They would fucking blow him away. He would be dead. You know, like the whole building full of cops, like they wouldn't just cower and wait for this to play out. All dead. Yeah. (laughs) No, that that would would be the story of him and Die Hard. They would. The bad guys would have succeeded. The planes would have crashed. (laughs) Yes. No doubt. Yeah. He he. To show a police force that the gun he's carrying is filled with blanks, he shoots the ceiling in a group of policemen. Yeah, you're dead. You're dead. I mean, uh, Riggs almost got killed by Murtaugh, even on the introduction, because he whipped out his fucking firearm in the police station as a police officer. Mm -hmm. Just throwing that out there. But proper police procedure. So they are... That scene where they go and they find, they kill the guy who drowns in the pool, right? They kill him. But then they clean their, they dry all of their laundry at that home where the crime scene is that a murder just happened at. Did you ever notice that? It's so, it's a blink and you miss it moment, right? Because they're still at the same crime scene. And then you see Danny Glover come in from the side with Mel Gibson's freshly dried clothes but you see in the background police officers putting up crime scene tape <laughs> i just i don't think that's proper police procedure i'm just throwing that out there yeah. to do laundry at a crime scene no yeah it definitely isn't <laughs> but at the same time i don't feel like this movie ever has a complete disdain for how police procedure works well, no. I mean, maybe maybe the procedural aspect, but the crime solving aspect, I, I that's that's what I'm going to hang my hat on there. OK, you know, maybe Fair the procedural enough. aspect, but the uh, the crime solving aspect. And I, I think that's why, you know, people who are police officers can't watch cop movies. Is that really a thing? Yeah, really? OK, oh, yeah. I mean, uh, why is that? Because well, everything you just said, it's like, well, that's not procedure or. Oh, you know, okay. Like, like the Flash, the TV series, and the CW. There, you know, he's supposed to be this forensic police officer, but they have a blatant disregard for how actual crime solving works. It's just computers are magic, and you know, now it's all comic book bullshit. Yeah, Th- this is not that. This is just kind of showing how on the fringe these guys are. Okay, because of the shit that they enough. get into. I, uh, man, I gotta say, like, it's been nice going over these because I actually just watched, I watched Lethal Weapon 2 not too long ago, just kind of randomly. And then you mentioned that we should do this for, uh, for the show. But now all I want to do is watch the other two. I really want to watch Lethal Weapon 3 and 4, you know? It's just fun watching these two on screen. Finish it on. I'm like, yeah, like, and then, and then chase that with Lethal Weapon 5. Yes, I will. Okay. Is there anything else you want to add? I mean, I've said like most of the stuff I wanted to say. Yeah, no, I'm, I, I, that's, okay. that's all I got. Should we get the flock out of here? You, you want to tie a bow on here? 
Yeah. Oh, that was clever what you just did there. You picked <laughs> up what I was putting down. Yeah, I did. You're trying to thumbs up, but your camera keeps like <laughs> keying me out. out. Yeah. Oh man. Well, this was a great episode. I love talking about this movie. I think um it's it's one thing that I want to say is I feel like it's kind of like weaving the vernacular, so to speak, of people who love action movies, you know. Lethal Weapon doesn't really get talked about too much anymore, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's a shame. Cause for me, it's like this is one of my favorites. I put this up there with speed, you know? So it's, uh, it's great. Yeah, I don't get it. Like I said, I, I own all four of them, but for whatever reason, I just don't watch them that frequently. I don't know why that is, and that's not fair because they're they're great. They're up there. I mean, they deserve to be as watched as Die Hard or the Stallone Commando. <laughs> Commando with Schwarzenegger. Rambo movies. Um, yeah, it's uh, now that I've blown all my credibility... Hey, I blew my credibility a couple episodes ago when I said, you know, that uh, let me stand next to your fire or something like that was by the doors. So good on me for that, you know? So, oh, well, th- there it is. So don't <laughs> trust us for it. Now that you've listened to this for an hour and changed, don't trust anything we've said. <laughs> we are uncredible sources. Yeah. All right. Well, with that said, please give us a like and a follow on our social media platforms you can find us on instagram and on facebook at post credits podcast and also give us a five-star review we deserve that shit we're putting on good shows for you we're entertaining so give us that five-star review on any podcast listening platform of choice yes that that would be a nice christmas hanukkah kwanzaa whatever your holiday of choice is we hope you enjoy it if you're listening to this before the holiday on the day after the day or not even around the day. You just found it somewhere random. So we're still going to play Merry out Christmas, the Christmas music. Or not. The, the Merry <laughs> Holiday music. We're going to play that out here. And we'll see you next week for another holiday-themed episode. We got a good one lined up for that. Yes. So check back. We'll see you next week, guys. Take care. Take care.